Well, I so much enjoyed the time of worship this morning. Uh, I'm a little biased because I have two family members on the team this morning, but always nice to have Kristen back and participating in worship, but particularly uh, special for us to have Martha Renault on guitar for the first time this morning at the gathering. So Martha, thank you. Really appreciate that. It's a great, great time of worship. In June of 1992, Jim Davidson and Mike Price climbed Mount Rainier. On the way back down from the summit, the two climbers fell 80 feet through a snow bridge into a glacial crevasse, a a pitch black, ice-walled crack in the gigantic glacier that covers Mount Rainier. Mike Price died in that fall. Later on in his book that he wrote called The Ledge, Jim Davidson tells the story of this miraculous survival and his courageous climb out of the crevasse. But throughout the book, uh, Jim reflects back on his childhood and his early adult years, particularly his relationship with his father. You see, as early as Jim can remember, his father had shown what some consider to be a reckless confidence in his son. (laughs) Jim helped his father paint these very tall buildings. He was a special painting contractor, and they painted these enormously tall buildings and electrical towers. When Jim was as young as 12, he was helping his father. The work terrified his mom, but Jim just felt like It was good training for his 12-year-old son, and he kept communicating his belief that that if Jim just pressed on through adversity and kept on going, he could do just about anything he set his mind to. So now, as Jim is standing, bloodied and bruised on this two-foot ledge next to the body of his climbing companion, he starts hearing the voice of his father in his head. The years of inspiration that Jim's father had poured into his life came washing over him and flooding back to him, as it does for all of us who had good fathers. We remember. With minimal gear and no experience climbing at at this level, Jim spent the next five hours climbing out battling fatigue and the crumbling ice and snow that threatened to bury him. But throughout his ordeal, he said, he just kept recalling the words of his father. He kept remembering the words of inspiration and the words of encouragement that his father had given him all these years. And five hours later, thanks to his father's words, Jim was able to climb out of the crevasse to safety. It's Father's Day today, and I just want to take a moment to thank God for all the fathers and the grandfathers in the house this morning. You guys have so much influence, so much influence in the lives of your your kids, your family. And so dads, we need to remember that our words carry a lot of weight, a lot of weight. Man, your words have the power of life and death, just like it says in Proverbs 18.21. The tongue can bring death or life, and I guess the choice is ours to make. 
every day. The choice is ours to make. Will, will my family, will my kids, will my daughters hear words of life from my lips or will they hear words of death and criticism and judgment? That's our choice to make every day, guys, every day. When your feet hit the floor, it's a new day and a new choice to make. So, men, I'd like to pray with you and, and for you this morning. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, I think it was King David who prayed in the scripture, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. And so, Father, King David's words remind us this morning that there's no better way to begin every day and continue it than by feasting at the grand buffet of the gospel. There's no nutrient that a father or grandfather needs more than the fresh manna of your grace. No taste is more alluring, more appealing than the assurance of your welcome, your presence, and your affection in our lives. Of all the, of all the sweet breads and pastries that come from the great bakeries of the world, none can compare with the bread of heaven. Father, I'm, I'm not just looking to be satisfied like a hungry man in a restaurant because I'm a needy man who daily requires your unfailing love for the opportunities and challenges of the day, including this day, Father's Day. For apart from the provision of gospel manna, I think us men will whine more than we worship and will judge people more than we'll seek to understand them Without freshly served up grace, the fathers and grandfathers in our midst today will be more occupied with self than with others. Unless we drink from the artesian spring of living water, Lord, we'll react selfishly to irritants rather than responding graciously and patiently to our families. If we don't allow the spring of living water within to overflow, we'll, we'll talk more than we listen and we'll take more than we give. We'll think more about ourselves and will think less often of you than you deserve. Without a daily reminder of your great grace, Father, I won't risk anything for your glory. I'll do just enough to get by for my own comfort. Apart from the banquet of the gospel, I'll be reaching for spiritual junk food all day long. But Father, because of your unfailing love for us in Jesus, most of the dads and grandfathers here today have have already put their trust in you. Some are on the way still. We lift up our souls to you. Father God, oh, Father God, would you please father us so that we can father those within our sphere of influence. As Loy mentioned, some of us are physical fathers. Others are spiritual fathers. Some are both. But every one of the men in this congregation this morning has an impact, has an influence, has a sphere of influence in which they live and move and have their being. And I pray, oh God, that we might use our words well to bring life and health and healing and hope to the people around us. Loving Father in heaven, we want to honor you today because I know full well that there are people in the room today who are, who are choking back the tears because this Father's Day is the first day they are without their dad. 
And I pray for an outpouring of grace and peace in their lives. There are those of us who don't have a lot of good memories about our dads or maybe our grandfathers or the spiritual leaders, the men in our lives. And Father's Day is painful. Oh God, would you grant a new day today, please? Would you help us turn the page and and begin afresh today? Let this be a great day for all of us gathered here this morning. Let this be a wonderful Father's Day as we acknowledge the Father of all fathers, the Lord of the universe, the King of kings. We love you, Lord. We worship you, Father. Thank you for caring for us and loving us with such compassion. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And now we come to our text for this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Would you read it with me again? Let's read these verses together out loud. They're on the screen. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In this text, I think we have three exhortations referring to the differing aspects of our spiritual development. Uh, Three appeals from the pen of the Apostle Paul. If we want to keep our relationship with God the Father fresh and vibrant and on the growing edge, then we need to respond to the invitations that we see in this text this morning. And first of all, we have, we have an exhortation to walk in Christ. Colossians 2.6 Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. I think this is a summons to live out the gospel in a, in a manner that's worthy of Christ. And you received Christ Jesus by faith. You were born again by faith. So now we are exhorted or encouraged to walk in faith every day. The Bible teaches that receiving Christ should result in a, a life that is worthy. We walk worthy in the paths of righteousness before the Lord. But I guess we should back up and just ask the question, what does it mean to receive Christ? Because that's where it begins. Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So what does it mean to receive Christ? We should answer that question first. I agree with that. But I've I've just started and I have an hour to preach this morning, so chill. Would you just chill? So in order to receive Christ, one must believe that God created us and that He cares about us, that He loves us, and that He sent His one and only Son to prove, to demonstrate how much He loves us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. But, But humankind is sinful and separated from God, and therefore we we can't know and experience God's love the way He intended for us to do. Man was created to have fellowship with God, but 
But because of our own stubborn self-will, we decided to go our own way, and that fellowship with God was broken. Separation occurred. This self-will, and characterized by an attitude of active rebellion or passive indifference, is what the Bible calls sin. That's how the Bible defines it. It's either active rebellion or passive indifference. Uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So none of us escapes that indictment. It's something that we inherit, something that we're born into. We're born sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. So God takes it pretty seriously. Uh, Sin separates us from God. It creates spiritual death. And so God solved that problem Uh, of separation between him, between a holy God and an unholy people in the most amazing way. He solved that problem of separation in the most amazing way by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to pay the penalty for the sin that we had, to become the perfect sacrifice on our behalf, to wipe out our transgressions, to forgive our sins. Jesus did all of that and more. As the Bible says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. In fact, let's read it together as a declaration of the gospel this morning. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Together. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So to receive Jesus is to believe that Jesus uh, Christ has come. This marvelous news that Jesus Christ has come, He's paid the penalty, He's paid the price, and He has now the power to redeem us from sin and misery. That's the good news. Furthermore, Jesus said, He made this bold declaration, said, I am the way and the truth and the life, No one comes to the Father except through me. Does that sound exclusive? It does, because it is. Jesus said, I'm the only way. There there is no other way to heaven. All roads do not lead to heaven. All religions do not lead to heaven. All roads do not lead to Rome. Thank you very much. And all roads don't all lead to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It sounds exclusive because it is, and I'm glad I didn't say it so people wouldn't charge me with being exclusive. If you want to pick a fight, you can fight the Lord Jesus. And good luck with that. (laughs) And and this good news that Jesus has come and he's paid the price and he's willing to remove our, our, our sins and transgressions as far from us as east is from west, this good news also calls for a response. A response of repentance and faith. Repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In order for us to receive Christ, we must repent of our sins, turn our backs on that, and turn toward Christ in faith. Believing that He uh, died, the, He lived the perfect life, He died the perfect death, He came out of the grave alive, and He can save sinners like us. And... The, the exhortation that Paul writes in Colossians 2.6 still stands. 
Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So what we've done in the last few minutes is just rehearse what it means to receive Christ and how important that is. And then Paul says on the, on the, on the heels of that, just like you received Him, just as you received Christ, so walk in Him. How did you receive Christ? By repenting of sin and believing in Christ, right? Isn't that right? Repenting of sin and believing in Christ. So walk in Christ in that same daily routine of repenting of sin whenever that's there, confessing your sin, making it right with God, and placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and everything else in your life. It's a day-to-day walk. It's a walk of repenting and faithing, a continual cycle of humbling ourselves before God, confessing our sins, and placing our trust and confidence in His finished work. Make sense? That's the first appeal. The second appeal from Colossians 2 is an exhortation to grow in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So I think this is a summons for us to grow in Christ. The rooting and building up of young Christians was a, was a high priority for the church in, Coloss- in, in Colossae. Paul talks to them about, about uh, making sure that these new Christians get rooted and built up. Rooted and built up. It was a major concern of the Apostle Paul. It's a major concern of ours too. We take it seriously. Conversion is only the beginning. It's just the the starting point. You You get to spend the whole rest of your life getting to know Jesus. You're getting to know the Father and the Holy Spirit and how what He wants to do in our lives. It's an exciting adventure. It's the great adventure. But conversion is just the beginning. Let's not stop with that. Let's start with that. Once a person has received Christ, he or she needs to grow to become all that God wants you to be. Some of you know that I'm fond of gardening. Those plants don't talk back to me in the garden. (laughs) And they go where where I put them. Well, I, I enjoy gardening. I used to live in Niagara Falls. I lived right next door to the, the chairman of the horticultural department at Niagara College. So I had to keep up with the Joneses, you know. Uh, seriously, he was just a great neighbor, and he taught me so much of what I know about gardening today. He'd, he'd bring a clump of something from the greenhouse and said, Oh, Garth, this was the perennial of the year last year. Would you like a clump? What is it, Jim? <laughs> Where do I put it, Jim? What do I put it next to? And so he would kind of, well, let's, let's go in the backyard. Maybe I'll stick it in for you. So uh, I learned uh, all, a lot of what I know about gardening today. I learned from Jim. But, you know, when, when you put a young plant in the ground, when you root that plant, I mean, I have every expectation that that sucker's going to grow. And, and it's going to produce flowers or fruit or whatever it's supposed to produce. Hostas just produce nice green foliage, you know, and that kind of thing. But there's an expectation there, right? When you, when you put your petunias in the ground in the spring, you, you, you expect petunias to grow bigger, 
and more. Love saying that word, by the way, petunia. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when a foundation is poured in the ground, the, the contractor fully expects to build a, a house or a bank or a church on that foundation. You don't pour a foundation just say, okay, well, I'm done. I'm move on to the next foundation. You build on it. And here in Colossians 2, the expectation is exactly the same. The rooting is in Christ. And the building up is in Christ. And so we should fully expect growth to occur in Christ. And the same exhortation, by the way, can be found throughout all of the New Testament. The rest of the New Testament teaches that conversion is just the beginning and then growth is the process. For example... Ephesians 4.15. Would somebody read that verse for us nice and loud? Ephesians 4.15. And what about 1 Peter 2? Would somebody else read that verse, please? And 2 Peter 3.18. Somebody read that for us, please. Thank you. I was hoping you'd read one, Derek. <laughs> Everybody loves that uh, King Lear language. God bless you. Well, this is the repeated emphasis of the New Testament. Grow. Come on, grow. Get growing. So conversion is just the beginning, and then we need to grow. Uh, John Stott wrote a classic little book years ago called Basic Christianity. When that book was published, he received a letter that read, Dear John, thank you for writing Basic Christianity. It led me to make a new commitment in my life to Christ. I'm old now, nearly 78, but not too old to make a new beginning. I rejoice in all the grand work you are doing. Yours sincerely, Leslie Weatherhead. Not particularly... significant, unless you know who Leslie Weatherhead is. Leslie Weatherhead was one of the most respected and, and influential Christian leaders in all of the United Kingdom at that time. Thousands heard him preach at a church called City Temple, and many people, including me, have his books in our libraries. And he was the president of the Methodist Conference in the United Kingdom. Yet at 78 years old, he's not too proud to admit that he has room to grow. He's not too proud or too worn out to make a fresh commitment to grow in his faith in Jesus Christ. Like we read a moment ago, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. It's never too late. It's never too late to make a fresh commitment to grow in your faith. Maybe some of us have gotten a little lazy. Some of us are a little stale in our Christian lives. What a great day to make a fresh commitment. What a great opportunity it is today on Father's Day to say, okay, I need to get growing again. So, dads, granddads, how about it? 
It's Father's Day. You, you, you may have got a, a new tie or breakfast in bed or maybe a card. <laughs> so you've got a gift. Why don't you give a gift back? Why don't you give a gift to the Lord this morning to your father and say, Lord, here's my life. I'm not growing as I should. Let's get after it. Let's kick it. Let's do it together. And, and building up one another should be a real top priority for us here at the gathering. And it is. We just haven't worked that, that all out yet. We're, we're still kind of new and developing. But several weeks ago, we mentioned a learning opportunity called uh, the Multiply Movement, developed by Francis Chan and others. It's been described as a simple, practical, biblical, and helpful tool for disciples of Jesus who want to make disciples of Jesus. And I'm using Multiply just as a tool. It's a, it's a tool. It's a, it's a method. It's not the only one, but it's a good one. I'm using Multiply to make disciples. I'm meeting with two men from the gathering every week, once a week, and those two guys are meeting with a couple of others, and so we're making disciples who make disciples. And some of the women are doing the same thing. The idea is to make disciple makers so that everyone who is a believer within our sphere of influence can be rooted and built up in Christ so that they can help others be rooted and built up in Christ, so that they can help others be rooted and built up in Christ. One of the exhortations in Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is to walk in Christ. The second is for us to grow in Christ. And the third is an exhortation for us to get established in Christ. I know you've read this with me once before, but let's read it again so that it gets uh, nailed into our hearts. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Let's go. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So I think this is a summons. I'm reading this as a summons to a deeper Christian understanding. Not necessarily just more knowledge, not just more information, but a deeper understanding of who God is and a deeper understanding of the Scriptures, to get established in the faith. Without the full truth and a mature understanding of it, there cannot be a satisfying Christianity or a stable church. And according to Paul, the hallmark of the Spirit's work in our lives is a, is a hunger and a thirst for more. Do you have that? hunger for more, a thirst for more, an unquenchable thirst for the deeper knowledge of God. But, but once, once again, I, the thing I like about this is, is in Colossians so far, there's been this, this uh, uh, attempt to, to balance things out. And, and once more, there's a balancing caution here that is quite unmistakable. Just look at the text. The new learning must be consistent with the old learning just as you were taught, you see. So, those of us who've been here for a few weeks, remember, maybe, hopefully, that in the background of Colossians, there's some false teaching going on, right? And that's one of the reasons why Paul is writing this letter, to correct the false teaching, the asceticism, the mysticism, and other things that are creeping into the church at Colossae. He's writing to, to correct some things. So, there's this false teaching in the background. And so his allusion to just as you were taught is 
is a reference to, to the gospel that they received in the first place, the true gospel, the gospel that came through Epaphras, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're to be established in the faith just as we were taught. Get established in the faith, yes, but make sure that you stay faithful and loyal to the gospel that you learned at first. Don't get distracted. Don't drive into the ditch on either side. <laughs> or if you're a boater, stay in the channel. The, the, the road is narrow, isn't it? The ditches are wide. So let's stay on the, the narrow road that leads to salvation. And Paul had to jog the collective memory of more than one church, but the church at Corinth was one. He had to remind them what this was all about and what the main thing is. He said, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Okay, he's kind of underscoring this and saying, okay, get out your first century highlighters. Uh, or if you've got your smartphones, you know, highlight this somehow. This is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You see, the gospel message is of first importance. It took precedence back then. It should take precedence today. The gospel is a priority message for us. And so when we talk about our five priorities as the gathering, we, we state it with a lot of redundancy, a lot of repetition. What are our five priorities? Gospel-centered preaching, gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered multiplication. Why do we do that? Because we think being gospel-centered is, is important. It's of first importance, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And this is, by the way, this is not a call to, to the vain repetition of dry and dusty theology. Some of us have been there. No, thank you. Rather, it's a call for gospel-centeredness. It's not a call to deaden the spirits and harden the hearts of congregation by, by, by preaching the same message or using the same text of Scripture every week. You know, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 again. Oh, brother, you know, Christ died, he was buried, he was raised again. We know that. But, but that whole, the message that permeates the rest of Scripture needs to be the main thing. This is a call for gospel-centered preaching and teaching at the kids' gathering. It's a, it's a call for gospel-centered teaching in the new youth ministry that we're developing uh, alongside of Stephen Knight Messenger. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a call for us to, to be gospel-centered in our preaching on Sunday mornings. 1 Corinthians 15, it's of first importance. It, this is not a call to be insensitive to all the other needs. Well, we say, we're just going to preach the gospel, we're not going to be involved in people's lives? Of course not. Of course we're going to be involved. This is not a suggestion that we become insensitive to the needs of the 21st century or the multicultural society in which we live or the injustice that goes along with women being forced into prostitution and children sold into slavery. No, it's, it's, it's a call, but it is a call to make the community life of our church and the caring ministries of our church and the compassion-driven ministries of our church and the counseling ministries of our church gospel-centered to make them gospel-centered. 
This is an appeal to pastors and elders in churches, young and established, to keep the main thing the main thing. Do you want to keep the main thing the main thing here? Amen. Let's not be drawn away from the gospel by other good intentions. And we all have, or many of us have hobby horses. You know, we have, we have things that we're compassionate about or passionate about, things that we're really concerned about. I think if I had my druthers, I, I think we'd, we'd, call, we'd invite people every Sunday to sponsor Compassion Kids somewhere in the world. I'm passionate about that ministry. But I'm not saying that it needs to be the main thing, because it isn't the main thing. <laughs> the gospel is the main thing. So let's not be drawn away. Keep what is of first importance first. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. On the third day, he came out of the grave alive. So let's treasure the gospel, okay? You good with that? We'll treasure the gospel. A while back, Keith Severin and his seven-year-old son, Adrian, uh, agreed that every day for one whole year, they would spend 15 minutes a day looking for treasure. This came out of uh, the, the day, one day uh, Keith came out of a store and, and he spotted a quarter on the pavement and he picked it up and his son was in the car and they got talking about it. He said, Dad, well, maybe there's more treasure out there. So they decided, father and son, that they'd spend 15 minutes a day, every day, looking for treasure. What an adventure to a seven-year-old boy. Keith and Adrian stuck to their plan, even in terrible weather. Every day they went, even when the weather was off, awful. And over the course of the year, they stumbled on all kinds of treasure. They found a, a lots of loose change. They found bottles and a silver necklace and a golf bag and a whole bunch of other stuff. I won't list it all. But by the end of the year, they had, they had amassed over $1,000 worth of treasure just on their 15-minute walks every day. But Keith said, the best part by far was the growth in their relationship as father and son. Dads, granddads, you have an awesome, God-given opportunity to invest your life in the treasure that God has given you right in your own home, right in your own family. And I encourage you to do that because 20 or 30 or maybe even 40 years from now, when your son or your daughter is standing on a ledge somewhere, it might be a, a financial crisis. It might be a relationship difficulty. It might even be a matter of life and death. They're standing on that ledge. They're likely going to remember the words of their father. What will those words be like? Will they be words of life? Or will they be words of death and criticism and judgment? And I can't do this. And I remember my father saying, I'll, I'll never amount to anything. I, I'll, I'll just, I, I quit. And you make a vow. You make an agreement, then you make a vow and you just quit. 
So the question is, what will they be hearing 20 years or 30 years or 40 years from now? As you gospel your wife, as you gospel your family, as you gospel the friends that God has placed within your sphere of influence, remember these exhortations and live out these exhortations that God's Spirit has given us today. You and your family, you and your friends need to walk in Christ and grow in Christ and get established in Christ. So let me pray with you again this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it, sometimes reading a letter like Colossians is a, is a little bit like standing in front of a gushing fire hydrant. It's just hard to stand up to the rush of so much grace and so much glory, peace and love and encouragement and hope. Some days it's simply overwhelming. And reading through Colossians together as a church family, we're discovering so much grace, so much truth, so much freedom. Thank you for that. What a generous God you are. In Christ, you've given us a completely forgiven past, a present standing in grace, and a future of unimaginable wonder. But what really encourages me today is knowing that all of this heavenly goodness is guaranteed. <laughs> you've sealed the deal by the Holy Spirit. You've, you've guaranteed our inheritance in Christ. You've given us the down payment, the first fruits, and a promise of, of a future way beyond our wildest dreams and imagination. Nothing will deter or sabotage your bringing to completion the good work you've begun in us, and I'm grateful. This floods our hearts with peace and joy and worship today. Lord, we also pause in our, our, our prayer time this morning to, to just pray for Yen Fung, who will spend the next couple of months serving the Lord and the people of Nicaragua this summer. She leaves tomorrow, and we pray that you will equip her with everything she needs to do your will. She may be small, but she's mighty when she's full of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So fill her up, Lord. Fill her up to overflowing so that she can just spill out your wonder and your glory wherever she goes. On the same day, her father, Dr. Fung, will, will fly from Detroit to Malaysia to visit some of his family sometime after his father passed away. Oh, Lord, grant... Chung, wisdom to know what to say and to whom and when. Give him courage, Lord, to take a stand for you where he needs to, even with his family. Grant him safety in travel, grace in dealing with family members who may not know Jesus or love Jesus, and keep him faithful and true to you at all times. Father, continue to rip and grip our hearts with the gospel of your grace. Lord, let us be a people who are full of praise for your glory. What else is there? What, what else could we possibly want to do with the rest of our lives <laughs> and throughout eternity? In the power of the Holy Spirit, would you please help us walk in Christ, grow in Christ, and get established in Christ? That's the desire of our hearts this morning, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen.